rise from the dead for us, and he saved us from our sins. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Please be in prayer for the Ferguson family. A pastor was speaking at a camp this past week, did a family camp, and things I'm sure went very well. Be returning this week. Pray also for Vacation Bible School. It's a big week this week here. It's an opportunity for us to reach out into our community and surrounding areas to meet needs of family and children and reach those maybe that are unchurched as well and they can find a church home here as well. Galatians chapter 2, Congregation 2000 uh, was stunned one Sunday morning to see two men enter during their service, both covered completely in black and with military weapons. One of the men promptly declared, if anyone is willing to take a bullet for Christ, stay right where you are. Immediately, the deacons, the choir, and most of the congregation ran out. Out of the 2,000, there were only about 20 left. The man who had spoken turned to look at the preacher and said, Okay, pastor, I got rid of the hypocrites. Feel free to start your service and have a nice day. The two men turned and walked out. I'm sure we don't have the hypocrites here today, and I'm glad that you came today, even though that most of you knew that pastor wasn't going to be here. Maybe you forgot But nonetheless, this morning, I believe the message that God has for us is one that Christ himself delivered to his disciples and to many of his followers during his earthly ministry. We also see that from the life and testimony of the great apostle Paul, that it's obviously apparent that he not only personally received this message of Christ, but that he also lived it out uh, in his life and reiterated it uh, many times throughout his writings to the local church believers. Paul vividly knew and understood what it meant and what it cost to live for Christ in a terribly corrupt and wicked world. Yet the life that the Apostle Paul lived was so extraordinarily different from most believers of his day. But what was it about him that uniquely gave him the strength and the boldness to live, leave the rules of religion and follow after the righteousness of Christ? I believe the clear answer is based in statements made by both Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. In Luke 9, 23, we see that Christ said, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul made his most bold and declarative statement when writing his letter to rebuke the believers at the church of Galatia when he stated, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Crucified Life, How to Live Out a Deeper Christian Experience, made this statement. Those who seek the deeper Christian life and those who want the riches that are in Christ Jesus the Lord seek no place, no wealth, no things, only Christ. It's not about perfection. It's not about needing Jesus. It's not about being self-righteous or bragging uh, I did it myself, etc., but it's about humility, it's about brokenness, it's about, about sacrifice, about passion and zeal to count the cost and to come before the mercy seat in, com- in complete surrender and with the crisis of conviction that leads to real godly sorrow where sin stops and the flesh is crucified and put to death once and for all. The crucified life is clearly accurately des- uh, described in the Gospel of Luke where Christ stated, in, in Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
The crucified life is a life on the, on the narrow road, following Jesus as he commanded by denying self daily and taking up your cross and living a life that is pleasing to, to him. It is daily walking in the light as he is in the light. It also entails daily walking in the spirit so that you will not, uh, not make any provision nor fulfill the lustful desires of your flesh. The crucified life is all about obedience and has nothing to do with perfection. It is solely about you and me dying to our self-aggrandizing wants, ways, and wills by putting to death our self-absorbed precepts, principles, practices, and patterns of life. It's not following uh, in any way the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes nor the pride of life to rule, allowing them to rule or reign in any area or avenue of our life. The crucified life is not something that you or I sit around patiently waiting upon the Lord to do in his due time for us. This is an active decision of our own will. In other words, it is God who patiently and longingly is waiting for us to humble ourselves and to make the right, uh, make the right God-given choice to crucify our flesh and once and for all to love him in obedience. Simply put, it is denying self and following God. It does not mean a sinless or perfect life. Far from that. Daily we must do it afresh, yielding ourselves unto God for those that are alive from the dead. And present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. The glorious fact that he died for our sins and the fact that we can no longer rise up, they, they can no longer rise up against us brings us joy and peace. And it brings us still greater joy and peace as well as the assurance that we please God to realize in faith and death to sin that the world through the death of Christ. What is there left for me to do than to answer, like Paul said, to die daily? The crucified life is the theme of the message this morning, and uh, Paul vividly knew and understood what that was all about. Even though every believer has been crucified with Christ in the ultimate sense of victory over sin and the grave, we must make certain choices to be crucified with Christ for victory in our daily battle with sin. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? What does it mean to take up our cross daily and follow him? What does it mean to truly identify with Christ in his death? It's all about death to self. The subject of the crucified life is vitally important to the health and growth of every believer. However, it is not only vital to the growth of every believer, but it's also vital to the health and growth of a church. The crucified life is a, is a life absolutely committed to following Christ Jesus. To be more like him, to think like him, to act like him, to love like him. The whole essence of spiritual growth and maturity has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Not with following rules and regulations. Not with how we dress or what we do or do not do. We are not to look at each other. Rather, we are to look like Jesus Christ. We can get, we can get all caught up in the nuances of religion and miss the glorious joy of following Christ. Whatever hinders or holds us back in living our life for him must be dealt a death blow. And that brings us to our passage of scripture this morning here in Galatians chapter 2. In verse number 20, where Christ said, and I've already quoted it, but let me read it once again. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. He's, in essence, what he's saying is, I don't know about you. He's rebuking these Galatian Christians because they at one time had received uh, the glorious gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And this church had been planted by the Apostle Paul. He had spent some time here working and training and ministering with this people about, about the Christian life and what it was all about. Yet they had allowed others to come into their congregation, into their membership, Judaizers, those that were law keepers. And they begin to, 
mixed both the law with grace and create, brought great confusion and, and frustration into the body, as well as division. And Paul saying, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, again, we're thankful and grateful for the crucified life that we can know, that we can experience, that we can live. The life that you died and you set an example for us. Lord, not merely just to save us from our sin and provide for us a, a home gloriously there in heaven someday. But a life that you intended for each of your children, saved, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, to become lives and testimonies, light shining brightly for the glorious honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today that uh, we as believers, as members of, and friends of Trinity Baptist Church, that we take this moment, this time to consider our lives. Not just merely are we saved, do we know Christ is our Lord and Savior? Not only is heaven our home, but more importantly, as a Christian, as a child of God, are we submitting ourselves to your authority, to your rule, to your reign in our life? Are we committed to living the crucified life and exemplifying to the world what true Christianity is all about? And so, Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us afresh and anew. Lord, that we might not be thinking about the activities or functions of the remainder of this day or of this week to come with Vacation Bible School and other things that are going on in our world. But, Lord, that, that for this moment, this brief moment, that we'd seriously consider our life before you whether it's a life that's lived to the praise, the glory, and the exaltation and honor of your name, or whether it's a life that we're living selfishly for ourselves, we're going through the motions of, of living the Christian life. Oh, we're saved on our way to heaven, but yet, Lord, our light is dim. It's not shining brightly. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning we trim the wicks of our life, that once again we'd get up and we'd get going, we'd get busy, we'd stay focused, laser-focused on you and upon the life that you, you died to save us to live. Lord, help us that in that day as we stand before you to, to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We ask on your blessing upon this time for your glory and your honor. May we leave this place different than when we came in, having a mind of Christ and not a mind of this world. In your precious name we ask it. Amen. This morning I want to bring a message entitled, Three Realities of Living the Crucified Life from this passage of Scripture here in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. This passage of Scripture is of particular importance and uh, meaning to me because this passage of Scripture happens to be my life verse. It's been my objective, my goal since the day that I claimed that verse as my own, that I might be able to say like the Apostle Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live on a daily basis, yet it's not me that's living, it's Christ living through me, that the world might see Christ living in through me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, that daily I might live it, a life of faith. Faith trusting confidently in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, faith uh, in the Son of God who loved me. Beyond measure he loved me and gave himself sacrificially for me. There are three things that we want to consider today. First of all, we must be crucified with Christ. Notice that first statement there of the Apostle Paul. He says, I am, I am crucified with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 31, Paul makes this statement, I die daily. In this statement here, I am crucified with Christ. In Paul's statement, I die daily, Paul is saying, I'm identifying myself with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know in, in speaking to you today that many of you have already placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've given testimony to that fact that 
that there came a time in your life when you acknowledged your sin before a holy and righteous God. You realized your accountability before that holy and righteous God that one day you would stand to give an account to Him. And that day in the recognition of your sins and compared to the holiness of God, you repented and turned from your sin. You confessed it and laid it at the feet of Jesus. They laid it at the feet of the cross there that day and turned from, from your sin to Jesus Christ as your Savior. That day... You went from merely being a creation of God when, when Genesis 2, 7, and God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You became a creation of God. That day you became a child of God. You see, it's only the children of God that are in, enter into heaven. Maybe you're here today and you've never made that personal decision. You may know about God. You may know some verses and passages out of the Scripture, but if you've never come personally to make that decision to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the very thing that he'd love for you to do today. To become his child, to know that absent from the body, as Paul says, is to be present with the Lord, to be able to live a life to the glory, praise, and and honor of his name. But we see that when Paul made this statement, I am crucified with Christ, he was identifying that day with Jesus Christ. We identify with many things throughout our life by the things that we wear, the cars that we drive, the, ho- the area of the homes in which we live, the people that we associate with, and our friends. We are identified in many different areas. But the question I have for you today is, are you identified with Jesus Christ? Can this statement that Paul made to, uh, uh, to, uh, of himself, and, and, and can I make this same statement, I am crucified with Christ? He's not saying from a one-time perspective, but he's talking on a daily basis. He's talking about the fact that daily I crucify myself. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. It wasn't talking obviously physically because he didn't die and then raise and then die the next day and raise again. He's talking about dying to himself, dying to his wants, to his ways, to the wills of his life. And every day we must come to that point in time so often with our RU students on Friday night and even Sunday mornings as I teach the RU Sunday school class at this time. I share with them that every day, oh, I won't say every day, most every day before I get out of bed, when I open my eyes, I, I will pray something like this, Lord, I'm about to get out of bed. And Lord, I know that there are many things that I'm going to face today, many challenges, many difficulties, many blessings as well throughout the day. But Lord, help me to, this day to walk for you. Help me to represent you in a way that would bring glory and honor to you. Help me, help me today that when the world sees me, that they might not see me, but they might see Christ living in through me. Lord, help me to bring glory and honor to you today. Help me today that when I pillow my head tonight, that if I were to stand before you, that I might hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's, that's my prayer. That's my desire because every day that's what I want to do. I want to be crucified with Christ. I wish I could tell you every day that I am. But the reality is, is, is that sometimes we become overwhelmed with the circumstances and difficulties and, and, and issues of life, and, and thereby we lose our focus. And that's what the whole point of that, that, that early morning prayer in my life may be, that my focus might begin with the Lord Jesus Christ. That as I get up out of bed and get myself ready for my day's activities and the labors and work, whatever it might be, whether it be at, at home with my wife or here at the church in the ministry or when I'm out in the public eye, whatever it might be, Again, that the world, my identification would be with Jesus Christ. That they would recognize something unique, something different, something weird maybe to them, something peculiar as uh, Paul writes to there in 1 Timothy, that we might be a peculiar people, zealous of good works, but that people might see Christ living in and through me. 
When we are crucified with Christ by faith in him, we are to completely surrender every selfish desire and ambition to the perfect will of God. Self-promotion and self-pleasing desires are the greatest obstacles between God and the salvation because it's the nature of man to want to please himself. And this self-recognition is a building block for sin. All sin erupts from uh, the desire to please self. And this is what must be crucified with Christ and surrendered to the will of God before salvation can ever bear fruit. You know, the Bible talks there in, in the Gospel of John chapter 15 about bearing fruit. And then it talks about bearing more fruit. And then it talks about bearing much fruit. And that ought to be indicative of our lives, that our life is producing fruit. And we are. The question is, is is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Sometimes because of our lives and our testimonies or the lack thereof, uh, we, we produce bad fruit. We produce an example or a testimony that isn't drawing people to Christ. We aren't crucified because we are living for ourselves and for our own goals and objectives. Under this thought of I must be crucified with Christ, we see that I must die to my selfish wants. I must die to my selfish wants. That's a hard thing because I want a lot of things. You know, this world is, is, a, is a wonderful place. It's a beautiful day out there today. And living in the free land of America as we do, there are many privileges and opportunities that we have before us. Many things uh, uh, that, that are out there for us to obtain and to gain and to pursue after. To distract us from all that Christ would have for us. But I must die to my wants. You know, uh, uh, I've written next to that point, manipulation. We can manipulate to get whatever we want. We can manipulate to do whatever we want to do. And our selfish wills and wants and so forth like that, we, we, we can manipulate even our Christianity. We can go through the motions and have the, the, the appearance of, of being righteous, pure and holy before God, while at the same time being anything but that. The Bible says in 1 John two fifteen, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Christ, uh, in, in, in Luke chapter 2, in the Gospel of Luke, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 26, he's talking to the believers there, the crowd that's following him, and he's talking to them about devotion. He's talking to them about discipleship. He's talking to them about the crucified life. He says, if any man will come, after, or come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our selfish wants and expectations. We see he goes on to talk about the cost of discipleship by illustrating the cost, the conflict, and the courage that it takes once again uh, to sum sum all of that up together. He says in verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple, cannot be one of the true followers of Jesus Christ has not crucified the flesh, has not died to themselves and to their selfish wants. And so we see that I must crucify myself to my selfish wants. Secondly, I must die to my selfish ways, to my ways, to my methods. First John chapter 2, verse number 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. The Bible goes on to talk about this world is going to pass away. Why do we pursue the things of, of, of little value and worth? Yes, they glitter, they gleam, they, they look nice and, and so forth like that. But yet, you know what? These things are all going to pass away. Why aren't we living daily, as the, as the songwriter put it, with eternity's values in view? 
And that's why I say when, when, you know, what helps me to start my day in, with a right perspective and a right viewpoint of, of life and living is, is that short little prayer that I will pray before I get out of bed. So that when something comes up that day, my focus is already on Christ. I've already asked him to go with me, to guide me, to strengthen me, to help me, to encourage me. And so that when I, I won't become reactionary to those things, but that I'll, be, I'll, I'll respond properly and accordingly as he would have me to respond. We see that these ways have to do with my methods, my methods, my behavior, how I respond, how I react and, 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 and those types of things. I must die to my selfish ways. We have a lot of ways, you know, and, and sometimes the, the most difficult thing is, is trying to break those ways, those habits, those patterns of life. But nonetheless, those things that are holding us back, as I stated earlier, must be dealt a, a, a death blow. We must, we must die to those things. You know, because uh, leading the RU, uh, Reformers Unanimous Ministry, I have the opportunity to, to see and deal with a lot of people. And our leaders have an opportunity to deal with their students from the standpoint of things, ways that are in their life that need to change. Steve Currington, the founder of, of, of RU Recovery, made this statement, we'll never change the way we act until we change the way that we think. We need to have the mind of Christ. And, 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 and daily, as I, as, I, as I pray that prayer and as I go to the scriptures, I, I'm trying to gain the mind of Christ so that I might respond in a way that would be pleasing to the glory and honor of his name. So that I would not bring shame nor reproach uh, upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I have to be willing to, to die to my selfish ways, to lay them aside and say, you know what, I've gone that way. Another statement that oftentimes we say in RU is, my best thinking got me where I am today. The reality is that's exactly right. We think that we know what's best, and we think that you know, we've got the best plan laid out, but the, the best way is God's way, and the best plan is His plan for our lives. And so we need to uh, forsake those things of the world and not turn to the lust of our flesh or the eyes or our, our eyes or the pride of life. They will always lead us away, always lead us down a path that one day we will regret. I was sharing with my students this morning that as a boy, I, uh, for whatever reason, I have no idea why, I, I wanted a pair of skis. And, uh, you know, they weren't cheap back then, and they're not cheap today. Skiing is a pretty expensive uh, pleasure that, that people do enjoy. I didn't grow up in an area where we had a ski resort, you know, where you could, you know, you could get on the, go down the hill and take the chairlift back up. Uh, you know, I probably was 50 miles from a place like that. Why I wanted skis, I couldn't tell you the answer, but whatever it was, I wanted skis. I whined and belly ached and put that on the top of my Christmas list at the time and told my parents how badly I wanted those skis and things were tight. Things weren't easy for our family. And yeah, when it came Christmas day, there were a few things that I got for Christmas and I opened those packages, and I was grateful and thankful for those things. But, man, I, more than anything, I wanted those skis. And all the things, all the packages were unwrapped from under the tree. And, and my dad said, oh, we got one more thing, and went into the, their bedroom and brought out these skis for me. Of course, that was back before he had to have ski boots. The bindings just strapped right onto your boots and so forth like that. And I, oh, I was so thrilled and excited about having those skis. But the reality was, is uh, I remember going out. It was either that day or maybe the next day. We had a little hill there in, in Fremont called Brandstrom Park. I, I don't know, that hill couldn't have been maybe 150 feet down, you know. But I, I got out there and got on. And, of course, you know, the skis are kind of trying to do this, you know. And, yeah, that's the first time. That wasn't bad and got down. And 
got on the tow rope and went up the thing and, and uh, the, the little hill there, and I went down again. I might have gone down three times all total. I never put those skis back on again. You know, I, I thought I, I needed them. I had to have them. That was going to be what was going to satisfy and bring great pleasure in my life, and that was, that was it. That, I, I couldn't even tell you whatever happened to them. My folks probably gave them away to somebody. But the reality is many times our ways, we are unwilling to relent from our ways because we've done it this way for such a long period of time. And the reality is is our ways are holding us back from God's best, God's way for our life. And we've got to be willing to sacrifice that and lay that down and say, God, something's got to be different here and it can't be my way any longer. So I must die to my selfish ways. Then thirdly, I must die to my selfish will. Die to my selfish will. That's probably one of the greatest obstacles that we have is our will. Um, I, I, I can tend to be a rather strong-willed child. God blessed our home and family with our first child who was extremely strong-willed. I remember one day uh, my wife was at home. It was during the summer. It was a hot day. Mrs. Saunders had come over. It's good to see the hoggers with us. What a surprise. I was walking down the side aisle, and as I'm walking down the side aisle, I thought, Man, the back of that guy looks like Aaron Hogger. You know, who do we have in our church that looks like Aaron Hogger? I turned and looked, and here's the whole row of the Hoggers. Here's good to see you this, this morning. But I remember that, sun, uh, that hot, sunny morning, uh, uh, day. Uh, I was here at the church. Pastor Saunders was here as well. And our wives had gotten together. Amy and Sarah and Michael probably were there as well. At that time, they were much younger. And Shannon, I don't know. Shannon was probably five or six maybe at that point in time. But some, the, the, the ladies and the kids were going to go someplace, and I don't remember where they were going, but everyone had gotten out of the pool but Shannon. And everyone's in the house, and they're getting dried off and getting dressed and getting their hair fixed and getting ready to go. And Mrs. Saunders was pretty close to being ready, and she walked by our sliding door that looks out into our pool. And uh, the pool, I was telling my class this morning, I was out this past week weeding my pool. Uh, most people clean their pool. I happen to be weeding it because it doesn't have a liner in it and things grow in it and putting the kids through college and so forth. That just wasn't a priority to get that thing fixed. But anyway, as she, as she passed by that sliding door looking out to the pool, and it's, it's, a, it's a nice view. Here's Shannon still splashing around in the pool by herself. She knew how to swim, so there was, we didn't fear that. But the reality was is everyone thought that everyone had gotten out of the pool, but Shannon was in the pool. And uh, Mrs. Saunders made this statement to my wife, Naomi, come and get your bull out of the pool. Because of the fact she knew how stubborn Shannon did not want to get out. She was enjoying her time there. She did not want to get out. And sometimes our stubbornness, our will stands in the way of God's absolute best for our life. We need to be willing to lay down that stubborn, strong will of ourselves and say, well, I've always done it this way. But is that way always pleased the Lord? Is it always brought honor to Him? Has it always allowed you to grow and mature in your faith for Jesus Christ? Morning in our, in our class time there with the RU class and students, I said, you know, if, if we could uh, put on our spiritual glasses this morning and, and just for a few moments see ourselves, uh, our spiritual growth and maturity, what would we see about ourselves? What would we see about others? While we were in New York uh, this, uh, a week ago, um, uh, the, the team had gotten on the, the subway system, and they, I think they were going out to Coney Island. I, I stayed back to, to finish cleaning up from the, the di- dinner uh, that evening and take care of some other things. And I've been down to Coney Island many a time. It's, it's a great place. But they were going down that evening, and it's a beautiful place to see it in the evening. But they were going down, and in the process of going down, one of the things I heard that when they came back was 
there was a midget on the, on the train, and evidently some of the kids had never seen a midget before. And they thought it was kind of cool, and one of the kids made the statement, I think it'd be so cool to be a midget. I thought to myself, maybe for a moment, but I can't imagine. You know, most people want to grow up and be big and tall and strong, and not that they can't be strong, and not, in their, you know, and, 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 and not that a midget can't be big as far as in their own mind and their own strength and so forth. But the reality is, hey, if we put on our spiritual glasses today, what would we see when we looked in the mirror? We see an individual six feet two tall, six foot two, standing there before the middle, shoulders thrown back and big and strong. Well, yeah, right. But the reality probably is, is you know, though we many times view ourselves here on a spiritual plane and level, we're probably considerably less than that. You know why that is? Because we tend to compare ourselves with other people. We're always looking at people that aren't don't quite aren't quite where we are spiritually speaking. And so, therefore, we feel better about ourselves. So that's why we have a higher estimation of ourselves. But we must be willing to lay aside our will, our perspective, our viewpoint on those things and submit and surrender them to God. It says in, in 1 John two seventeen, And this world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Doing the will of God, you abide forever. When you follow in obedience to him, you will hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, that's our motives. Our motive for life and living ought to be to please the, uh, the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And so, first of all, the first point was, is I must be crucified. There must come to that point in life, at my time in my life, when I die daily to myself. Secondly, I must live in Christ, and Christ must live in me. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He's saying, yes, I'm living on a daily basis. I get up and I get myself ready and I go out and do the things that I do. I live life and I live it to the fullest. But it's not me that's living. It's Christ that's living through me. It's Christ that's shining through me. It's Christ that's controlling my life, my ways, my actions, my attitudes. Man cannot overcome his inherent sinful nature on his own and needs the power and assistance of the Holy Spirit to make this happen. But the surrender of his own will uh, to that of God's will is essential for the elimination of his, own's, of his own desires, powerful motivation, and enslavement. True repentance is not just asking for forgiveness of sin, but it is a, also a willingness and a desire to change uh, that conforms to the will of God. It is, surrender to one's own, it is surrender of one's own control and will to the power and will of the Holy Spirit. And that is the beginning of, of, of living the crucified life. When I submit and I surrender my will to that of uh, the, the Spirit of God. The first the statement, I am crucified with Christ, was my identification. This statement, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, is, is my confirmation. This is where I, I'm conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the Word of God, Paul talks about that in the book of Romans, that, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to portray. That's what we're to identify with. That's what we are to represent. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I find in Paul's writing to the church at, Col- at Colossae, uh, there in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, but seek ye first, excuse me, but seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the Father. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Then verse number five, he says, mortify your members. We see under this uh, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, letting Christ live through me. I must seek the things of God first and foremost. I must seek the things of God. I must pursue after that. I must go after that. 
Every day that I live, I need to make sure, Lord, not only may I honor you by the life that I live, but may I go after the things that are important to you. Lord, as you lay and set those divine appointments, and I believe that throughout our weeks that God places people smack dab right in front of us, providing for us an opportunity to share the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were, while in New York City, it was our day off, and we challenge our, our, our students and adults that are on the trip, that, hey, this, this may be a day off. This is our sightseeing day. This is a day of relaxation. But nonetheless, it's also a day and an opportunity in which you can share a gospel track, share a gospel witness. And uh, so we, we took the train into town, and the first place we went was down at uh, Ground Zero there, down by the Freedom Tower and the pools that are there, uh, and, and so forth uh, from 9-11, and met up with our daughter Shannon and her husband, and saw those sites down there, and we began to go visit some of the other places and things. And one of the things that we always do uh, was that we always get on the Staten Island Ferry, and we go from Manhattan to Staten Island. We get off the boat. We get, go into the terminal, go back around, get on the next boat, go back to Manhattan. Well, why do you do that? Well, number one, it's relaxing uh, after, have, after having walked a, a lot that day. Uh, but the main reason is because it goes right by the Statue of Liberty. Of course, if you know, uh, watching the news at all that day, the statue was shut down because some, as the president called, called her a clown, some individual climbed up on the statue in, in protest and so forth, those types of things. So everyone that went to the island was taken off the island and couldn't be there that day. Well, it's a lot of hassle, I'll be honest with you, to even get on the island with all the security and everything that you've got to do. So we've, we've just, we just go by the, the statue on the Staten Island Ferry. It's fair, free, it costs you absolutely nothing, and you get great pictures from the Staten Island Ferry. And so we're on the ferry, and our boat's going across, you know, and different ones are scattered different places. It's a big, big uh, boat, and, uh, and there's a lot of people on it. And, and I sit down in a seat. I'm kind of sitting there all by myself. And I look across right in front of me, smack dab in front of me. God said, here it is, your divine appointment for today. And uh, here's a young man in his early 30s. And he was just coming back. Uh, he had finished work for that day, even on the holiday. He was a mover and, and so forth. We just engaged in conversation. In the course of our conversation, I had the opportunity to hand him a gospel track. I had the opportunity to give him the gospel he did not respond to the gospel, but you know what? It was a matter of, of realizing that, that I was, I, that day I, I said, Lord, provide an opportunity for me to share with someone, at least one person a day, the opportunity to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. I asked him, I said, hey, would you at least promise me t- tonight before you, before you pillow your head that you'll read through that gospel tract and you'll seriously consider your eternal destiny, that Jesus Christ is the answer to every matter and situation of your life. But we must be seeking the things of God first, but seek ye first the things of God and His righteousness and the things of life that we tend to pursue after. Many of those things God will add to our lives and, and provide those things that we need. We see that First uh, Timothy uh, 6, 11, Paul writing says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and patience, and meekness. Those are the things that we need to pursue after. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Those things that we, we seek uh, of God. Secondly, we must not only seek the things of God, but secondly, we must set our affections on the things of God. We must set our affections on the things of God. We, we follow after the things of God. Here we're going to focus on the things of God. That has to be our passion. 
has to be our driving force every day to motivate us. If I'm going to live the crucified life, I have to have the passion to live that life. I have to have the desire to go God's way and not my way. Solomon, in writing to his own son there in in Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 20, he says, My son, attend unto my words, incline thy ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Why did he want him to do that? Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, the richest man that ever lived. And yet, throughout his life, we see God bless Solomon, but yet we also see Solomon making some very foolish choices and decisions throughout his life. And now Solomon is, 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 is realizing that his own son is at one point in time going to be taking over the rulership of, his, of the kingdom there, going to be following. He's leaving a message for him based upon the experiences of his life. My son, attend to my words, incline thy ear unto my saints. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Begin verse 22 to the end of the chapter, verse 27, he says, For they are life unto them that find them, and health to all their flesh. They are, they, are, they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Verse 23, Keep thy heart with, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse, perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path, carefully ponder the path of thy feet. Let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Hey, we need to set our affections on the things that God would have to set our affections on. We know many times what those are. We don't need a list, uh, you know, that a God-ordained list that he gives to us that we can stick in our pocket. We can pull out and say, oh, okay, that's on the list. I, uh, that's a no. Okay, that's a, yeah, that, that's a yes. Hey, you know what? The Spirit of God reveals those things to us. You know what, we can make many times anything that we want God's will for our life. I've seen that happen in my own life. I've seen that happen in the lives of many other people. Where, you know, they say, you know, the the, the common thing is, is, well, you know, Pastor, we prayed about this. We know this is a purchase that God would have us to make. You know, Pastor, we, we, you know, we've been reading the scriptures and and, uh, we believe this is what the Lord would have us to do. And I'm not determining what their will for God, but yet I see the the results of those choices and decisions and the devastation that it brings into their life. You know, what what hurts the, 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 the life of every preacher is when a family leaves the church for whatever reason. You know, it's a little bit easier to handle it when their job transfers them someplace else and so forth like that. But when they're leaving because of a problem that they have and they leave with an unresolved problem, that, that, that weighs heavy upon a preacher's heart. And knowing that that's, that, that's not God's will in that, in that, in that, in that, under that situation or that circumstance for them to be leaving. Let's make this thing right. Let's, let's be adults about this thing. Let's talk about this thing. Let's resolve this thing. That's what God desires for us. We see here that we need to set our affections on the things of God, not on the possessions of this world, not on the motives and the ways of, 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 of this world, not on the things that the world sets their focus and attention upon. You know, there, there, there are a lot of, a lot of uh, Christian homes where moms and dads mean well, but uh, parents always want what's best for their children, and parents many times want better for their kids than what they even had. And sometimes parents will do for their kids and do for their kids and do for their kids and their kids never learn to do for themselves and grow up and take the adult responsibilities that they have. Sometimes moms and dads are holding on to their kids so long and so tight and so far. Okay, well, you you know, if you're going to go to college, you know, stay close to home. You know, they don't want to let them go. You know, it's not easy letting go. I'll be honest with you. It isn't easy. It's not easy having our children really spread across the United States, two in Baltimore, one in 
in Louisiana and one in California. That's not easy. But you know what? We rejoice because we let our kids go because they belong to God. We begin to let them go from the time that they were born. We begin to pray for our kids. Lord, it's not our way. It's not our will. It's not our want. We'd love to have our kids and our grandkids close. But Lord, we want your best for their life. We want what you want uh, for them. We want you to use them. We want you to take their lives. And Lord, we can't, we can't go to other places throughout this world, but yet you can send them to those places. And we were willing to let them go. And it's exciting to see. And as they call and tell us what's going on in their life, and as I served with alongside of Tyler here two weeks ago there in New York City, to see him working with his youth group and working with those adults and how they, they just admire and respect him and, 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 and follow his lead and his instruction as, as he goes before them. Uh, that's a thrill in our heart, uh, and, and yet it, it comes about because we, we strive to set our affections on things of God and not on this earth. It wasn't about my child having a great job, making a lot of money, and then I can say, look at, look at where my child is, and look what he drives, and look where he lives, and look what he possesses, and look who he is. It wasn't anything about that. It was about what Christ would have for them, letting them go. We see thirdly here, I must subdue my flesh to obey the things of God. Not only must I seek the things of God, not only must I set my affections on the things of God, but I must subdue, bring under control my flesh to obey the things of God. In other words, I have to fence it in. First of all, I have to follow after the things of God. Secondly, I have to focus on the things of God. Then thirdly, I have to fence them in. I have to guard them. uh, Solomon, there in that passage I just read a little bit ago, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out over the issues of life, guard, set guards in your life. As a parent, I needed to set guards for my kids. They didn't always like those fences. Neither did I. But my parents said, I love you too much to let you go. I love you too much to let you do. I let, love you too much to have that, as a, that individual as a friend. You be friendly, but, you, but I don't want you getting close to those individuals. And realizing that we must subdue our flesh. Our flesh craves. Our flesh craves the things of this world. And we need to bring that into the obedience of Christ. And so first of all, I must crucify my flesh to Christ. Secondly, I must live in Christ. And Christ must live in me. He must control me. And then thirdly, I must live by faith for Christ. I must live by faith for Christ. Paul goes on to say, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. He says, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's my demonstration. First of all, I am crucified with Christ. That's my identification. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's my confirmation, the me conforming to, to the image and the will and the way of Jesus Christ. But now, in the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's the demonstration. My opportunity to live out Jesus Christ. It's my opportunity is, is when, when I left home at 18 years of age to go off to Bible college. That was a good safety net for me. It was an opportunity for me to be responsible for myself, to pick up, to clean up, to do whatever I needed to be done because there was responsibility given to me, but there still was the control of an authority over me. But once I graduated from college and as I grew through college and through the experiences that God took me through there, I learned what it was to take full responsibility so that when I stepped out on my own, that God was leading the way and I wasn't dependent upon mommy and daddy back home. I wasn't dependent upon anything else back home, but I was dependent upon Jesus Christ. I praise the Lord that he led us to the Bahamas. Well, you ought to. That's a wonderful place to be, Pastor. Who wouldn't want to live in the Bahamas? 
Uh, probably most of us would love that. But the reality was, I wasn't thrilled that God led me to the Bahamas to, to experience the beauty of, of the islands or anything. I, I was thrilled that God led us there, and I, didn't, I wasn't always comfortable with it. But I was thrilled to be there because it was an opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with one another, but more importantly, in our relationship to God. Because, you know what, we were... Uh, we, uh, my, my, my income that year was $81.41 a week. Our support level was, if, if it all came in, was maybe $600 once in a while. Usually it was more like $300. But what God did for us through that experience of living in the Bahamas was that we learned early on, it's not about what you have, it's about who you have. And that Jesus Christ was molding and shaping and preparing our lives for the ministry that he was going to have for us. God used those wonderful years there in Nassau to accomplish wonderful things in our life, to grow us, to mature us. So that when God closed the door for our ministry there, and there's no doubt, and some of you heard the story about no doubt that God definitely closed the door for us to be there. But God wondrously opened the door for us to be here. We're grateful for that, that opportunity and the avenues and the doors that, that, that God's opened to us. But nonetheless, we learned through, through those experiences to demonstrate to live out Jesus Christ in and through our life. And so nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the faith. I live by faith. I live uh, of the Son of God who loved me and gave. That's my demonstration. True walking in faith with Christ is true Christian conduct, which results only from true Christian character. That character is Christ who is our life. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We see, first of all, this, uh, this uh, living by faith must be an honest walk. It must be an honest walk. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 that, that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without, that ye may have lack of nothing. This honest walk, this life of faith that honestly is living before God has to be free of doubt. Has to be free of deceit has to be free of dishonor before God. I must honor him by my walk of faith. Faith is one of those things that uh, it's a fine line between faith and foolishness. You know, some people will say, well, th- th- it's faith and it's very apparent that it's very foolish because God would never lead an individual to do some of the things that some people do today. But we need by faith to trust him. And of course, faith is talking about placing our confidence, our trust uh, in him and him alone. It, first of all, must be an honest walk. Secondly, it must be a humble walk. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves under, in the sight of the Lord, that, and he shall lift thee up. First Peter 5.6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It must be a humble walk. A humble walk that's separated. The Bible says, Come out from among them and be separate. Uh, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. You know, the scriptures talk about separating ourselves from the world. It's not, it's not talking about isolation. It's talking about insulation. We need to insulate ourselves from the world. But as, 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 as Christ said in his prayer, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. We live in the world. We live in our neighborhoods. We work in our jobs in those factories and places where we have our employment. We go to the marketplaces. We're surrounded by people that are in the world and that are of the world. But, hey, we're in the world with them. We're not of the world. We're just a passing through. Our, he- our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Heaven's our home, and we need to be living as citizens of, of heaven. And so we have to, it's, a humble walk is a separated walk. It's a surrendered walk. Lord, I, it's no longer I who liveth, but Christ who liveth in me. It's no longer I who liveth, but Christ who liveth in me. In me, in me, Jesus is alive in me. It's no longer I who liveth, 
but Christ who liveth in me. It's a surrendered life where it says, Lord, it's not my will, but thy will be done. It's a submitted walk. Surrender says, I give up. Submission says, I'm giving in. Lord, I'm tired of, of walking this walk. I'm tired of just being a Christian. I'm tired of just knowing that I'm on my way to heaven. Lord, there's so much more to life and living the Christian walk and life than just being saved and on my way to heaven. I know you have so much more for me in, in, in that vein, in that area. And so it's about uh, having, being a, a, having a submitted walk. And then uh, fourthly there, it's, it's, a, it's a serving walk. Once I've separated myself unto the Lord to serve him, once I've surrendered, said it's not my will, I've submitted, it's now your will, now I can effectively serve him. I, I can now effectively be fruitful in the life that I live and lead for him. Thirdly here, it's a holy walk. It's not only an honest walk, it's not only a humble walk, but it's a holy walk. First Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy, holy in all manner of conversation, meaning our conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. This holy walk must be committed. We will never walk the walk that Christ had intended for his children to walk if we are not committed to the cause of Christ. Committed to the cause of Christ. A number of years ago, I believe it was the year 2012, that was our theme, committed to the cause of Christ. And the question was, is are you, are we as a church committed to the cause of Christ? And what are we doing to show ourselves committed to the cause of Christ, whether as a body of believers or as an individual? What are we doing to show ourselves committed? Therefore, our, it has, must be a holy walk in revealing who we are for Jesus Christ. It's a personal walk with, a uh, committed walk is a personal walk. A holy walk is a personal walk with God. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a precise walk with God. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.15, See then that you walk circumspectly, precisely in this manner, in this way. Then he says, not as fools declaring there is a foolish way, a fine line between faith and, and foolishness, not as fools, but as wise. It's not only a personal walk with God, it's not only a precise walk with God, but it's also a powerful walk with God. Say, Pastor, you know, I've, I've tried, I, I've tried, but you know, I it just, you, know, you, can only, you can only bang your head so many times, you can only skin your knees so many times, and it hurts, and the reality is it does. But that's all part of growing up. Uh, yesterday evening, Ryan uh, FaceTimed us, and, and our granddaughter Emery is 10, year, 10 months, 10 years, 10 months old, and uh, she's getting bold now to where she can stand up. She's not quite able to take that first step without falling. She goes to her knees and so forth like that, but pretty soon, you know what? She's going to get up and she's going to fall. Our two year old grandson Jackson there in Baton Rouge area of Louisiana. I mean, he, you know, we've, we've gotten on FaceTime with him and he's had big old eggs on the, on the side of his head where he banged his head and skinned his knee and, and so forth like that. And all of those hours, hey, you know, that, that's part of life and living, no different than the Christian life. You're going to fall down, you're going to get knocked down, you're going to get scraped up, you're going to get banged up. But you know what? Get back up and get back on track and get going for Jesus Christ. That's all part of growing. That's all part of learning to walk and all part of learning to live for Jesus Christ. And so we see that it's a, a powerful walk. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. When the power within is greater than the pressure without, you can withstand anything. And it all begins with having the mind of Christ. Because as I begin my day with the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me to live that crucified life through you by your Holy Spirit. You control my actions, my attitudes, my behavior. 
But as I, as I live that life, it's, 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 it's a powerful walk. Lord, I can't, but you can. You have to enable me. And then it's a continual walk. It's a continual walk. You know, one of the things that uh, Bob Jones Sr. used to challenge his students with was to keep on keeping on. When the way seems dark and dreary and the, the nights are long and dreary, hey, keep on keeping on. When you don't think you can take that next step, take the next step. Because that next step may be that which is going to get you out of that hole. That next step may bring the bright sunshine of a new day. That next step may bring victory for your life. If you stop, you'll never, you'll never achieve it and you'll never know it. The crucified life entails me dying to myself. I am crucified with Christ. The crucified life entails for me to say, nevertheless, I live. But Lord, it's not about me. It's all about you. Lord, help me to have your perspective on life and living. Help me to have your mind. And then lastly, it's about living a life by faith every day. It's a life of faith. You know, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the the charity chapter, the love chapter, that last verse says, uh, Now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. Do you know why, why love is the greatest of those? Why charity is the greatest? Well, let me see. When I consider faith, when I consider faith, that's what I need now to live for Christ and to have experienced victory and be to the praise and glory of his name. I, I need faith. But you know what? When I get to heaven someday, I won't need faith because I no longer, I'll, I'll, I'm, right now I'm walking by faith because I can't see. I can't see the glories of heaven. I can't see God Almighty himself, but someday I will. But I won't need faith then because I'll, I'll be walking by sight. Hope, hope. Right now, I'm looking forward with with confident hope in the Lord's return. But when he comes to take us home, I don't need hope anymore. But the reality is, is love. Love. um, uh, These three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. You know what? I can love God now, and I can love him for all eternity. And see, my love for God will determine whether I'm willing to crucify my flesh to live to the the, the crucified life for Jesus Christ. My love for Christ will determine whether I'm willing to place my faith and trust and confidence in him for the daily walk that I must take and, and whether I'll trust him each step of the way. To live under Christ, we must first die unto ourself. When we die unto ourself, we then, by faith, can live unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We can live the crucified life. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful and grateful. For your word. Lord, what's been upon my heart this morning and what you've allowed us to share with your people, Lord, is not something new. The passage of Scripture is very familiar. The topic is very familiar. Lord, we as believers, we know that these are things that need to be a part of our life, this aspect of the crucified life. And yet many times we flounder in our Christianity. We just kind of wander. We just don't know whether it's really for us. We don't really know if that we want to go that direction. I mean, after all, it, it sounds like such a commitment and we're giving up so much. And yet the truth of the reality is, is we're giving up so little to gain so much. I pray, Lord, that you'd forgive us for our short-sightedness. You forgive us for our sinful ways. You forgive us for our wants and our ways and our wills and, uh, Lord, uh, overstepping our bounds to get in the way of what you really want for our life. Lord, help us this morning by your spirit to be convicted about where we are spiritually speaking. Lord, are we just existing and putting our time in until you come for us or we die and go to heaven? 
Are we living a vibrant, seeking to live that vibrant, uh, a victorious Christian life for you? Lord, daily do we focus and have our mind on the things of Christ, or are we just trying to get through life and, oh, Sunday's come and we need to be in church. Oh, midweek service, we, we need to come and, and we, need, we need to do, we need to perform, we need to act. Lord, help it not to be the case, but help us to daily live in your presence, to worship in your presence, to exalt and honor you. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I don't know what the need of your life may be this morning, but maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, uh, if I were to die today, heaven's my home. There's no doubt about it in my mind. I've made a personal decision to receive the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And I've trusted in the shed blood of the cross of Calvary and his resurrection. And if I were to die today, heaven's my home, no doubt in my mind. Would you raise your hand as a testimony of that decision all across this auditorium? Thank you. Thank you so much. Many, many, many hands raised. Now, some of you, that decision's been made here at Trinity Baptist Church. Some of you have been made as a child in your home as a, as a godly parent led you to that decision. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, but maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, that's, that's not me. I've never made that decision to trust Christ as my Savior. I know about God. I know things about the Bible. But you talk about him being a personal Lord and Savior, having made a personal decision. That's the question. Has there been a time in your life when you personally acknowledged your sin? You, can't, you were confronted by your sin and a ho- the holiness of God. And you realized that you fell short but didn't know what to do. You didn't have the answer for that. And you understand today that it's only in Jesus Christ that you can have that relationship with God that you're so desperately seeking. If you're here today and you don't know for sure if you're to die today and that you'd be on your way to heaven, but you'd like to know. You'd like to have somebody take the Bible and show you from the Bible because that's all that matters. They show you from the Bible how you can know uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can become that child of God. If you'd raise your hand, I'll not come to you, call your name or embarrass you. That's not my intent, but I'd like to pray for you. You raising your hand indicates that you recognize you have a need and that you'd like to do something about it. Anyone like that here today, Pastor? I'm, I'm not saved, but I certainly would like to be. I need to be. Then, then to believers I speak, as, as you consider your life before Christ, Many hands raised about being a Christian. We're going to spend eternity. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we'll spend all eternity there in the glories and splendor, the wonder of heaven. But what about your life? What about your testimony? What about your witness? Would it be summed up by the statement, I am crucified with Christ, as Paul said? When we look at his life, there's no doubt that he was. When you consider the other disciples, there's no doubt that they were. Every one of them was martyred or put to death, except for uh, the apostle John. Many martyrs throughout the ages were crucified with Christ. They identified with Christ as they, they were put to death. Uh, we, don't, we haven't faced that yet in our society, in our day, in our time, but we might. Well, let me ask you, are you daily surrendered to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to do that? How many of you by the uplifted hand and say, Pastor, that's a need of my life. It's not just about being a Christian. I, I need to make that decision to, to live the crucified life. Anyone like that today? Just slip your hand up, put it right back down. I see that hand. That hand, thank you so much. Anyone else? Maybe you're here today and say, there's other matters and issues in my life. Pastor, would you just pray for me? I'm really struggling with some, uh, some things in my life, and I just need someone to pray for me. I see that hand. Thank you so much. Anyone else here and there? Thank you so much. Father, again, we're thankful and grateful for the precious word of God. Lord, I, I pray that the things that have been said this morning, Lord, that it might not have been of me, There's no intent on my heart to get in the way of what your spirit was striving to do. Lord, I pray that we would would hear the word, but we wouldn't just merely hear it, but that we would respond to the word by being a doer of the word of God. Lord, you know the heart. You've seen the hands today. 
Lord, we rejoice with the many that were raised by uh, testimony of salvation in you. We, we thank you for that. Lord, though there were no hands raised indicating a need for salvation, there may be, and yet uh, too shy, too timid to indicate so. But Lord, I pray that they would seek uh, one of us out after the service, that they might give us the privilege that before they leave, they might know Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. For these that indicated by raised hand that the, the, the need of living the crucified life on a daily basis, not just on certain occasions, but on a daily basis, Lord, I, I pray that uh, you administer to their heart, meet their need, and cause them daily to focus upon you and realize it's not about them, it's about you. Then, Lord, for these that raised their hand and said, Lord, uh, my heart's burned about many things. I just just need some help. I just need some answers. I need some direction. Lord, I pray that you'd provide that for their every need. Bless now in this invitation time. May you be magnified and glorified through it all, for which we give you the praise, the glory, all the thanksgiving in your precious name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. 405, Spirit of God has spoken to your heart. You'd like to come to the altar. Lay that burden, that concern here at the altar. Make that decision. Please feel free to do that on this first verse, 405. Let's stand as we sing, please.